I didn't have that black educator who like took me under their wing and said, you deserve more than this. You don't have to go through this. You can have this if you do this. You know, it was kind of like, all right, all right, y'all get out of my class. You know what I mean? It, it was nothing extra. No one went above and beyond. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impacts and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Hi, how are you doing, Danny? My name is Douglas Morrow. I am a special education classroom assistant, and I definitely believe... Wait, wait, what was the last part of the question? You know, I don't know how it is. So, why do black educators matter? Black educators matter because our babies learn better from people that they see every day. You know, we don't want to give them the vision that they have to be taught by others instead of us. You know, we got we to gotta show our kids that we are just as intelligent as any other person. You know, a lot of a lot of children believe if it's white, it's right. You know what I mean? A lot of kids really think that, like, oh, well, if the white person said it, it got to be real. Because usually the black people that they know in their lives are usually negative figures. I mean, we don't like to talk about this, but it's really the case if you look around. So that's why it's definitely important for us to teach our own babies. And I want to shout you out for your role. So you said that you are a special education classroom assistant. Yes. How yes, many other black men special education classroom assistants do you know? Not many. Not many. And for me to be able to stick around as long as I did, I haven't seen many. I said I've been with CPS for 11 years. I could probably count on both hands how many male seekers I've seen. So. And yeah, where are you from? I'm from the greater west side of Chicago. Hi, <laughs> west side, stand up. You know, the greater Austin area. So I did you go it. to school over there? Yes. What was uh, your... Not high, school, not high school, but grammar school. I went to Howe. I went to Duke Ellington. Graduated eighth grade from Michelle Clark. Then I ended up going to Keary for high school. But yeah, I'm definitely deep-rooted in the west side. How was that experience for you going from going to elementary school in your neighborhood to then going to Curie for high school, which is not in your Ooh. neighborhood? Ooh, it was it was a shock. It shocked my body in every facet, you know, whether it was what I'm used to seeing, what I'm used to hearing, even how I go to school. I was always five, ten minutes away from school. I ended up having to travel an hour to school, being around different races. Being around different gangs, because let's be clear that that is a part of Chicago culture, whether we like it or not. And then just studying different. The school where I was at, I was getting A's easily. I didn't even have to study, you know. So going to high school and have to carry five books on the train for an hour, you know, three in my bag, two in my hand. It was it was different for me, you know, and it, it definitely shocked my body at first. I did bad at first because I wasn't used to it. I didn't know how to study. No one ever told me. You have to read this to understand it, not to read it to memorize. And those are two different things. So it was something that I definitely needed, though. It definitely helped me in life. Why did you have to leave your neighborhood to go to high school? Oh, that's a great question. So so I, like, rigged my high school choices, basically, right? I took the test for Lane Tech. 
you know, because my mother wanted me to. But I, I got accepted and tore it up. So, oh, I didn't even get accepted. You know, she didn't believe me because I never failed anything. But she let it go. I really wanted to go to Prosser or Westinghouse. You know, I was once again, I'm not using my smarts. I just want to go to the cool schools. So I wanted to go to Prosser or Westinghouse. And then our counselor in my eighth grade had messed up everyone's high school applications. And then when she finally fixed them all, everybody was overcrowded, full. So I couldn't go to the schools I wanted to. And I had to go to my neighborhood school, which was Austin, which is a notorious school back then, you know. So they they were at our school, giving out schedules. I'm like, look, I'm not going to Austin. And so happened that I played chess. I played chess in grammar school. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I led Michelle Clark two city titles. I done went to state and national tournaments for chess. Yeah. I know people don't believe me, but it's crazy. Michelle Clark, you know, just a hood school. We won city two years in a row, my seventh, eighth grade years. And it was it was so fun, like, seeing the faces of all those Northside schools. Like, who are these kids just wiping the floor with all those trained kids who got professional lessons and all that? But, yeah, my chess coach, knew the chess coach at Kiri, and he got me in. So I, <laughs> I, I got recruited like a basketball player to come to Kiri to play chess. <laughs> it was so funny. But that helped me so much in life. I turned that stigmatism or what people might view as a weakness into one of my strengths. Oh, you play chess, you a nerd, and all this, but let's fight then, <laughs> you know? And, and then, so it was just something that, that just built, made me a better person. You know, I, I encourage every person in the world to play chess. It helps you with your patience. It helps you see things further. You don't rush anything in life. So chess basically saved my life. I ended up going to Kiri for chess, played chess all four years, won a couple tournaments here and there, went down state. But yeah, chess was the reason I went to Kiri. That is an amazing story because shout out to a young black boy from the west side of Chicago being recruited for chess. For chess, yes. It, it, it was so crazy at the time. Chess was used like an off-the-street type thing. Like, let's get all these inner-city kids to play chess. Maybe this will calm them down. And it really worked, especially at schools like Michelle Clark. It, it caught fire because Orr, or, which is another notorious high school on the west side, had one state in chess. And it, so it's I sweeping like, oh, if these kids can learn chess, let's teach them at a young age. So, yeah, I learned in sixth grade, and then I just kept it with me forever after that. You also mentioned early on in this conversation, you were just talking about some of the things that our kids see, especially if you're coming from certain areas and negative influences yes. that we don't like to talk about. Let's yes. talk about it. So you are from the west side of Chicago. You Yes, I am. Like, let's really talk about some of the things that our kids see every day because your story is still a testimony that you can see all of these things and you can yes. still tap into your natural brilliance and be yes. who you're supposed to be. So, like, what are some of the things that kids who grow up in the greater Austin area may see on a day-to-day -day basis? First of all, horrible aesthetics. Horrible aesthetics. Tore down buildings, vacant lots, alleys, people just outside for no reason, celebrating failure every day. And they think that's a way of life. I'm going to grow up to be like this, stand out here with them, with no future. That, that's what they see, so that's what they know. I mean, you can't give a kid a dream if, if it's never been reality for anyone. Yeah, I can tell you, you could be this, you could be that, but who do they know who's ever done that? You know, it, that's just like a person in real life. I can't sell you a car. If you've never seen this car work on the street. So it's like our kids feel the same way. Like, don't come here telling us we can do this, we can do that. Who? Show me. Where's the proof that we can do this? So our kids see just the most horrible things. And 
I don't think we ever put the stats that we know into homes. You know, we just read the stats and never think about who the stats are affecting. When you read stuff like 75% of fathers are not around. Okay, so if we got 10 kids, seven kids are fatherless. And that's, that's not including the mother who is probably on drugs or anything like that. And now they're being raised by grandparents or who too old to control them. It's so many variables that go into what our young babies have to go through every day. Mm-hmm. So you were recruited to go to carry for chess. What did you decide to do for college? Like, how did you decide that you were going to find yourself in the classroom as a grown up by choice? By choice. Okay. So <laughs> college, college happened like this. I did very good on the ACT. Took it once. And I was, I had my mind set up. I'm going to Ohio State or Marquette. I don't know why that was the two schools, but I wanted to go to Ohio State very bad. Then I saw the prices. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Easy now. Easy now. So one of my friends, he didn't get into really many colleges. He's my best friend in high school. He didn't get into many colleges. He got into SIU. And I was like, uh, he's like, man, come to SIU with me, man. You can be my roommate in my dorm, all this. He's like, I already got everything planned out. So I was like, okay, I'll go to SIU. <laughs> It was far enough away from the crib so I can, you know, be free. But it was also close enough that I could come visit whenever I needed to. So I actually went to SIU, and I was a business major. No no reason to be education, no I was, no thoughts on going into education. I was legit a business major, marketing. So I graduated with a marketing degree. When I came out, no field. The job field was horrible for business, horrible. I started off as a substitute teacher, and that's how I got into education. Started off as a sub, and I, I haven't left yet, and I can't leave. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So how was it for you being a substitute teacher, especially your transition from substitute teacher to special education classroom assistant? Like, what were some of the things right. that you saw? Okay, for instance, the subbing allows you to see the whole city in totality. When you get a job up north, and you come in and it's bells and whistles, white doves flying, and children not in need of anything, and everything is ran how a school would prototypically be want to be ran. You know, it's like, okay, okay, I see this. I can get into this. Then you come back to the west side, and it's like, what is going on? Why does the plumbing don't work on the first floor? You know, simple things like that. Why do our kids have libraries? Why do, the, why do we have these computers from 1999? You know, it's like, why do we have compact computers in here? It's just, it's just a lot of stuff that our kids are just really behind the eight ball, you know, from the beginning. And that's, and that's kind of one of the reasons I, I stuck around as long as I have, because it's like, I recognize the problem and I couldn't leave it. It's like, I'm here and I, I, it's horrible. It's horrible. So even thinking back to your own educational experience from K all the way through college, did you have lots of black educators? No. I had a, I had a few I had a few, but uh, it, it wasn't nothing major. It's like those weren't some of my favorite teachers. If I look back on it, like oh man, I wish I could have stayed in Miss Jones Mr. Jones class my whole life. <laughs> it was like no, it wasn't. You no, know, we didn't have I didn't have that black educator who like took me under the wing under their wing and said you deserve more than this. You don't have to go through this. You can have this if you do this. You know, it was kind of like. All right, all right, y'all get out of my class. You know what I mean? It, it was nothing extra. No one went above and beyond. And now that I'm in this position, I see that they knew what, what was going on, and they 
still didn't say anything. You know, like like I told you, my mother. How how could someone not from the school not tell her that your son got into lane tech? How could she, how could that be a secret? You see what I'm saying? Like why wouldn't why wasn't anyone reaching out to her and let her know that we care for your son and we would like him to go here? Like he's two seconds away from going to Austin, and no one said anything to my mom about well he got into lane tech. You know, it it was stuff like that. Because mm. <laughs> yeah. that's real when you think about like access and opportunity. And as kids, we don't understand what it means to like rip up a letter and hide because I want to go hang with my friends. Exactly. Like that's what the grownups who advocate for us, that's what they're supposed to do. Like that's kind of what they get a paycheck for is to make sure that we know and that our parents know and our families know like what opportunities we have access to. And the cheat code to Chicago is this. High school means so much here than any other place I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. When you when you ask someone, oh, what what high school did you go to? You already got it in your mind what kind of person that person is. You know, if someone say, oh yeah, I graduated from Brooks. Oh, okay. You what college did you go to? That's the next question. Then if you say, oh, I graduated from Dunbar. Oh, okay. So what do you like for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> education is <laughs> education is no longer the conversation. We're not. We're, <laughs> if you went to Dunbar. We're not talking about education no more. Let's find another topic. You know, that, and no place in the world is like that. Whether I've been to, that I know. This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, Let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. I agree. Chicago when it's high school is I agree. I agree. Another place another another way that we stay segregated in the city. Yeah, I don't, oh, come on, cheat codes. So, speaking of cheat codes, mm-hmm. what's been the most impactful moment you've had as an educator thus far? So, like, what keeps you, you kind of you kind of mentioned it, you've seen the mm-hmm. gaps, you can't leave it, can't leave the game alone and need you. Yeah, got to. What's been some really impactful moments you've had? And also, what positions have you had? So, you started off as a substitute teacher. What what classes had you have you worked with? All of them, you know. Um, that's that's the that's the joy of being a seeker. The principal can use you as a utility guy, like, and 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 that's basically what I am. I'm I'm really like wherever there's a leak, put Morrow in that leak in that crack. You know, I done like I said, I've taught seven to eighth grade math, taught sixth grade math, been a second grade teacher for a month, computer teacher for three months. It's like I've done everything inside the building, and you know, my principal. She's always encouraged me, tomorrow become a teacher, tomorrow become a teacher. But I have so much else going on. Like, I'm content with where I'm at because I can still move how I want to move, like with all my programs and things I do of that nature, that I didn't want the extra strength of being a teacher. And I'm like, it's not really worth it for a couple thousand dollars more, you know. So I was cool how I was because I had my responsibilities lined up. But then, you know, I and this is it's all crazy. So I went and got my master's degree. Uh, and business so i have an mba and i'm like yeah i'm I'm done with cps i got my mba then it just was like i, I still couldn't do it like i'm like 
maybe if I if I go to school, I can pull myself away from this. But I still couldn't, you know. And, and it's just something about kids who are like 22 now, 23. You still at school? I just drove past. I'm gonna come out there, you know. And that and that means something to me because I always look at the school as a pillar of the community. That's always supposed to be the safe place. That's somewhere our kids should always be able to come to, like no matter what age. And and it works for me like that. You know, the kids, they always come back up to the school looking for me. They always calling me. You still have school. I want to bring my kids there. Like, it's, I've got kids. who got kids. You know, it, it's always been crazy. So those are some of the impactful moments. But I'll say number one is that built me and probably some of my other kids, a student's death. I, I coach basketball, and one of my players was killed like four years ago, his eighth grade year, like March. And it was – it was so traumatic and, you know, just working through that and mentoring the boys through that. It's kind of like where all my, my program really came from that I got dear Austin. It came through from that. So yeah, that's probably my impactful moment working with the boys, just mentoring them on death and violence in the inner city. Yeah, it was rough. Number one, I'm so sorry to hear that. Number two, do you teach at the same... Are you still at the same school that you started at? Yes. So that's incredible. Thank you. Thank that's incredible. So you've been at that school for how long? I've been at this school. This is year 10. So I've been with CPS 12 years. This is year 10 at this school. The other years I was subbing and moving around, but this is year 10 at this school. So that's incredible. Three, what is Dear Austin? So Dear Austin is a mentoring and tutoring nonprofit that I run. It was started. It's crazy. I was told to write a letter about myself and I wrote a letter and I couldn't, it couldn't, it wasn't right. It kept being like, I think I was shortchanging myself. So I I said, you know what? I'm going to write this letter to someone else. And I wrote the letter to Austin, like the Austin area. And I wrote it like to a kid. Like I, I made it like Austin was a kid and I was just talking to him while he was locked up. Like dear Austin, Life is crazy out here. I hope you're taking care of yourself in there. We need to do this and this and that. And that's how I started my non-for-profit. And then, you know, I just use it for mentoring and tutoring. And now, you know, every year I have built on it. Like I said, I coach basketball as well. So I always did shoe drives through Dear Austin for other schools in my school as well. And now I want to raise drug awareness. I want to start a drug intervention program for teens. I don't see that anywhere for kids of our color. Something else, you know, there's just some other resources that we lack I look at kids of other colors that should not be named. They go through the same troubles too, but you know, they have a crisis. It's called the opioid crisis. So let's send them to a treatment center. Let's get them therapy, make sure they don't go this way. And then we'll get them a job at our neighbor's car lot to keep their mind. So, you know, our kids don't have those same kind of resources. And remember, like I say, it always go back to the stats. This kid's getting raised by that grandmother and has a drug problem. That's not too much she can do. You know, it's rough. That's right. That is so brilliant. Dear Austin, that, that made my heart. Ooh, it just made my heart warm. <laughs> and I love the way that you gave Austin that that heart. Like you mm-hmm. spoke to Austin because Austin needs our love and our respect and our support. Like I talk a lot yeah. of stuff about the city. Yeah. You know, it's a very segregated city. I throw a lot of shade on the West Side. But in real life, <laughs> like there were systems and in policies that made our communities the way that they are. Oh, yes. No doubt. No so doubt. in real life, dear Austin, shout out to dear Austin. 
what is the state of education in Black America, and how did Ooh. we get here? The state right now, I think, is it's bad. It's bad, and we need a complete system overhaul. I think it's too it's wrapped up too much in numbers, so people only want you to learn the numbers instead of learning naturally, and the numbers will come naturally as well. And it's simple. It's so simple, but we just get away from it. Things like phonics. Okay, teach our babies phonics, not sight words. If you teach them, if you give a kid five sight words, they got to learn a, the, but, by, and and. Those are the only five words they know. But if you teach them sounds, they can put together their own words. You know what I'm saying? So that's how kids uh, look at the and say and. Like, how did you get and from the? Because they know that's one of their words, and they're just taking a guess of what words they should guess instead of sounding it out if you're teaching them phonics. And it's just small things like that, but it's so many small things that it, it equals a big problem. And that's why I say education needs to be totally overhauled. Like the same thing we spoke on with high schools. That should not be the case. I shouldn't have to go an hour for good education. You know, uh, the West Side is definitely lacking proper high schools. You know, we got Whitney Young. And we don't really claim Whitney Young. I was about to say, is like, that still West Side after the uh, gentrification? Nah, it, it's kind of more like West Loop. You know, there's nothing really West Side about it. So it, it's rough. So we, we lacking we lacking the proper resources over here. But as far as the system, it needs a total overhaul. Are schools designed for children of color? No. No, no, no. Talk to us They're about not. the differences that you've seen, especially like thinking about your experience as a substitute teacher. So, yeah. you know, that's a guest in the building. So you get to see yeah. all the good stuff. I get to see how all I can see how all the buildings work. Like I said, a lot of the white is right. You know, you see that so much. And it's like, no, they're, they're leading our kids astray. And a lot of things that black kids go through, only black people understand. And that's not a shot at anyone else, but. We know our babies more because we've been through that. There's no school book that can teach you that this kid is acting out because he didn't eat this morning. Or this kid didn't get any sleep because there's people running in and out of his house. So if he puts his head down, get that baby his 15 minutes instead of bamming on his desk and say, go to the office. He's already going through enough. But these are things that only we can teach our kids. You know, and that's why I advocate for more people of color to be inside of schools. You know, we need more people who look like us to teach kids. How have you grown since you began your career? I think it is amazing that you got this marketing degree and this MBA and you still can't leave the classroom alone. So how have you grown <laughs> since you started? I've grown so much from it being a check because it was a check because I was struggling out of college to a career path. Like I would have never, ever think, thought I'd be in education as a career. And that was definitely a career. Like, I'm going back to becoming uh, the middle school math teacher. So it's like, it's definitely a career. My flag is planted. I'm not going anywhere. Like I said, if anyone who knows me, they'll tell you, my teenage years or through college, you would have never thought I'll be in education, let alone excelling at it. It's crazy that people call me to tutor their kids and all of that. And it's just like, they still can't believe it, like, they say they call me by my nickname. I won't say it on air. But they call me by my nickname. Like he's teaching kids, and I, and, you know, it's just amazing. So I've definitely grown as a person because I didn't have a choice. You know, when people start looking at looking up to you, you got a responsibility to uphold. So you can't be that same person you was in college or pre college. I, I had to become a man real quick. 
What advice do you have for first-year educators? Plant your feet and find your balance. Find your balance. Have a have a short memory. A lot of people get into it and be like, oh, I can't do this. It, it only lasts so long. It only lasts so long. And, and then you, you get a fresh start the next year. You know, you're going to always get a new wave of kids, and that's a breath of fresh air. Whatever happened last year, you can't bring it into this year. You know, so I just tell everybody that first year is going to be rocky because you don't know what's going on. Plant your feet, find your balance, and teach. Teach how you want to teach. Make it your own so it comes more natural. If you're trying to if you're trying to teach someone else's style, it's going to be forced, and it's not going to come out right. It's got to be natural. What works for me probably will not work for you. So I tell everybody just find your balance. You need that more than anything. Why do we need more black men in the classroom as educators or as paraprofessionals or as classroom assistants or as teacher assistants or? It goes along with that aesthetic. Our young black boys need to see successful black men that don't have to look over their shoulder every two seconds. You know, their idea of successful black men are what they see on TV, neighborhood drug dealer. It's, it's, there's really no in-between. You know, there's not too many people in our neighborhoods that are doctors or lawyers or things of that nature. So the the two places that people are going, that's three places that you see the most in our neighborhoods are schools, barbershops, and churches. Not too many kids are going to church. So they're going to either look up to their barber and what they see in a barbershop or what they see at the school. And if you got some upstanding black men at the school, they're going to gravitate towards you. And so that's why we need more black men inside the school. So where can people learn more about Dear Austin and follow you and learn more about what you're working on? Okay. On Instagram. You can go on Instagram. I have an Instagram page, Dear Austin Chicago. And currently I'm working on a website. And like I said, right out, we're basically uh, selling t-shirts to get this funding started for the drug intervention program because that's really what's next up on the agenda. That's really like where all my focus is right now because I believe we need that more than anything. And then Why is that important? Like let's let's talk about why it's important for us to have a drug intervention program for young black kids and teens. Okay, number one, everyone wants to know where why is there so much violence with the youth? Why is there so much youth violence? And coming from the place I come from in the education field, and still talking to a lot of these young men, or talking to other young men, it's drugs. It's drugs. It's, it's drugs. Like, it's hard to do some of the things that these kids do to each other sober. A lot of our kids are scared, but they're put in situations where they have to do some of the things they do. You know? So, if you're scared, what else? What do you need to do? You need to get out of your body. And they feel like drugs are their escape from their body. So, that's how they tend to do a lot of the stuff that they do, not knowing that enhances whatever thoughts you have. So, now... I'm just going to close my eyes and do whatever, which is why you see so many innocent people getting hit. It, it's a lot of stuff going on. There's so many layers. We just got to peel them one by one. And I feel like drugs, we should be fighting against drugs. Like, why is our community, it's okay for our young teens to have a drug problem and no one addresses it? No one knows that our kids do so many designer drugs. You know, our kids don't just smoke weed anymore. Pills are a problem in our community that no one addresses. And I try to explain to the kids what's inside of a pill. You know, like everything. I, I compare them to the regular addicts you see on the street. I say, oh, that's you. Man, well, nah, man, nah, nah. 
I say the same stuff that's making him do that is the same stuff that's inside that pill. No, how? I like so wait, you don't even know what's in this pill and you taking it. But that's why I say drug awareness has to be raised amongst our kids because they're just right now they're just guinea pigs. They're getting tested and then someone else is getting resources. Oh, this is what these drugs can do to people? Okay, let's make sure this don't happen to our people over here. So that's why I say we really need drug awareness in uh in our neighborhood. We absolutely need drug awareness in our neighborhood and we need more positive black male influences <laughs> like you that stay in the hood and keep pouring back into those generations. Are you coaching chess? I want to coach chess. I want to coach chess, but chess isn't as big as it was. So I just teach whoever want to learn. You know, I, I always got, I keep like 25 boards in my in my closet just in case anybody wants to learn. Anybody who wants to learn, I'm always open for it. I teach my daughters, but I, I, if I had the time, I would want it to be in our school curriculum. Like, I, I truly believe if chess was in any curriculum, you will see higher grades, you will see higher reading scores, higher math scores, everything, because it's just it just comes naturally. It turns on your brain. Your brain has to work playing chess. And if kids really take a liking to it, you will really see the difference. Yeah, shout out to the black man who played chess. My dad, who was a West Side man, used to play chess. He taught my sister. I don't know how I missed the lesson, but, <laughs> you know, rest in peace, dad, and shout out to black men who play chess from the west side of Chicago. Yes, yes. Are there any black educators that you would like to thank? I know you kind of mentioned your experience when you were a student, but as you think about, like, your peers or anybody that has kind of poured into you as a professional coach or anything or any of your daughter's teachers, any black educators that you would like to shout out? Yes. Definitely Tarina Woolrich. She's the eighth grade teacher at my school, and she's just an amazing person. You know, she's one of the people, because our school got turned around, which means fire the whole staff, then bring certain people back. I was lucky to come back, and then me and the other me and the new principal had that, and she was telling me, do I want to help her staff people? And I definitely called Miss Woolrich. She's one of, the, one of my favorite teachers, great teacher, great eighth grade ELA teacher. She understands. She understands where our kids come from. And she's a great, she's great at disciplinary and teacher. She's like, she's got it perfect. Like her class is never out of control, but she never yells. You know, and, and, and I feel like that's the perfect way a class should be in our neighborhoods. Like you don't have to combat our kids with what they go through at home. So I definitely want to give her a shout out. And the dean, the dean at my school, uh, Dean Lyons. I tell him every day, man, you're the first black man who's not in my family. I say I love you. He's like, hey, man, you're going to make me cry up here. But he's definitely that guy who he he's always on me. He's always on me. He called me Deacon. He called me Deacon. He like, Deacon, the Lord ain't done with you. <laughs> he's always telling me that. I told him I was getting an NBA, and all that. He's like, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere. And, I, and I'm not. And, and then once I told him, I was like, I'm going to become a math teacher. He's like, see, boy, I told you, boy, this is where you're supposed to be. God got you here for a reason. You know, he, he's always pointing to me, you know, spiritually. And you and I need that. We got a little inside joke. Who helps the helper? So, you know, we always try to pour into each other to keep each other going. So, yeah, definitely those two, Miss Woods and Dean Lyons. Amen. Thank you for coming on the show and oh, sharing no your problem, story. No anytime, anytime, anytime. It was amazing talking to you and just learning more about your journey because it is like – you said so many things, but just like this city of Chicago with its layers, you too are a layer because who would have many layers because who would have ever known 
all of this. <laughs> Who have ever known? So again, thank you for everything that you've done. It was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.